In business, you rarely hear the expression for life. You make a purchase for a product, for a service, and, and there's, a, there's a time frame there. Well, that's not the case with Awaken 180 weight loss. Allow me to explain. You know, a year ago, I started with Awaken 180 weight loss and had incredible success losing weight. But you can lose all the weight in the world and not keep it off. And what good is it? That's why I have support for life from Awaken 180. Yeah. I mean, I go back for check-ins and make sure everything's going smoothly. But if I ever had a problem, the counselors are there to get me back on track. Why don't you do what I did and call for a consultation? 844-346-1800. 844-346-1800. Or go to awaken180weightloss.com. Welcome to It's Personal, Finance Canada. I'm Christine Conway. And I'm Cameron Conway. And this podcast is a very personal look at personal finance in Canada. Hello and welcome to It's Personal, Finance Canada. That's right, I'm doing the cold open today. I'm putting my foot down and I'm finally getting what I want out of this relationship. (laughs) Well, that's it. Even good couples will have their spats sometime. And today we're going to talk about the leading cause of trouble in long-term marriage relationships. And uh, spoiler alert, it's money. (gasps) Well, that's not really a big surprise. Money is a big cause of fighting and arguments. And money is just tied up in so much in your needs, wants, desires, goals, frustrations. It's no surprise that those... Little bills and chunks of plastic in your wallet can completely destroy the relationship with the person you love the most. For sure. Money is one of those areas that just kind of naturally can lead to resentments being built over time when people are not on the same page or when they have different priorities or different spending habits altogether. And like we've seen over and over again with the statistics, it is true This is a leading cause of divorce in Canada. Well, exactly. Uh, Back in 2014, BMO did a quote-unquote Valentine's Day poll, and they found that 68% of the couples surveyed say that financial issues would be their number one cause of divorce. Yeah, I was looking through that. I think cheating was 60%. So that's pretty crazy. People are more willing to forgive infidelity than uh, financial misalignment over a longer period of time. So that's that's crazy, if you ask me. Oh, yeah, completely. But finances, it's so wrapped up in everything. It's some people feeling like they're not getting what they want. They want that sense of independence. They want what they feel they deserve. They want that little outlet. So it's actually a lot of the same psychological triggers, but it's easier to justify when you're buying yourself a cup of coffee or sports car. So when people have come to the decision that the time has come and they've, they're going to be calling it quits, there are a lot of things to take into consideration because like life, marriage can be messy and a lot of things get intertwined, especially if you've been together for a long time. Well, yeah, exactly. And this is something we have to think about and talk about because in Canada, the divorce rate, it's 
it's actually down to about 40% right now. It's actually been tracking downwards the last 30 years. There's a whole lot of interesting sociological stuff behind it. But still, out of every 10 people, that's four people that have to go through this. And we know people who've gone through this. We've had clients go through this. So this is something we feel is important as you learn more about the whole sphere of personal finance. Right. And it can change the entire outlook that a person has about their future and their future planning. Couples are typically planning their futures together and the retirement that they might dream up together could be very well saved for, very well prepared for. Maybe there's a good pension, but once everything is divided up, the end result is that picture can look quite a bit different for both parties. And if this is happening later in life, I mean, there's that kind of little colloquial statement there where people will wait until the kids move out of the house or whatever it might be. At that point in time, retirement is usually not that far off. So the length of time that someone has to recoup after this is a huge factor in the overall viability of what their not only current finances will look like after the divorce, but also what their future finances will look like when, like I said, they may have planned for something very different. Well, exactly. One day you think your financial future is secure and then all of a sudden your spouse says they're bored and next thing you know, you're sleeping in your office forever. It's sad, but you will with the way that the markets are these days, right? Sometimes people do have to look for alternative arrangements, even if they are temporary. And I mean, no one wants to be the roommate when they're in their 50s kind of thing. So it does lead to some interesting choices and decisions that have to be made. Well, exactly. And some of the other research we were going through is show that there really isn't a correlation between age and divorce anymore. Before you see certain spikes at different ages, now it's pretty consistent. Like in the 30s, 40s, 50s, the rates are about the same since the, the age of people getting married has been pushed back. So we're not seeing like the big spike up front or the big spike at the end. It seems to be pretty uniform going forward with a bit of a spike later on in life. Yeah. And I think people these days are are kind of more of the opinion that there are lots of options out there and if people aren't happy in their relationship or if they think they can do better, whatever they may define that as being, um, I think people are less inclined to kind of stick it out as they had been in prior generations. So that's a factor as well. Well, yeah, we know one example where one spouse had a stroke and then the other spouse just didn't want to help and just walked out of the relationship. So there's all these kind of things that can happen suddenly or things that are built up over time and... Part of it is just learning how to go about your life alone and try to rebuild your finances and just learn how to get everything separated, which is more what we want to talk about today is how to decouple and unweave this whole little wicker basket you've built with your spouse. Okay, so let's jump in. I think a good place to start is kind of where you are right now, right? So looking at your role currently in the household finances and we were looking through some research and um, it was interesting to see because from the survey that we had reviewed, 41% of men were saying that they handled the finance and only 32% of women were saying that they managed the finances in their marriage. But um, whether or not you're in control, it really comes down to having a good understanding of where the money is, where the money goes, how it's being spent 
and how conjoined all of this is. So one of the first things that is a good thing to look at is just how much is actually joint in your marriage, in your life. So do you have joint bank accounts? Do you have access to each other's online banking and credit cards? Or do you have separate accounts where you essentially will pool some money together into maybe one joint account to pay larger bills? An offset of that as well is just figuring out what your budget will look like when you're on your own. And the big question that everyone asks is, is it going to be viable? So is my income enough now to sustain myself once things like child support or spousal support are taken into account, regardless of which way it goes, whether you're on the receiving end or the giving end? It sounds like you would think it'd be the same, but it can be a very large shift in how the money comes in and it goes out every single month. Like if, if both people are working, you may be bringing in the same amount, but you feel like there's more going out than there was before. Right. And I mean, small things that you might not have thought of, like the person whose names the bills are in, that can be a factor as well, especially if money stops flowing from one partner to the other. Um, Personal credit scores, I mean, depending on whose name the bills are registered to, can be impacted by this as well. And there's a lot of personal lifestyle choices that are going to come along with this. I mean, if you have kids that are still school-aged, staying in the same neighborhood or staying in the same school catchment might be something that's important. And that can really affect the flexibility that you have with your budget as well. Well, on that, let's start digging out how things can get divided. But really, before we can really get into it, we have to talk about just digging up all your information and find your documentation and just getting a clear picture of what's actually there in front of you. Well, that's right. The paperwork doesn't lie, right? So you're going to want to have records of everything you owe and everything you own. And I mean, the lawyers are going to want to see this as well. So things like tax returns, pay stubs, investment statements, property tax assessments, if you own properties, you know, mortgages, lines of credit, credit cards, that kind of thing. And things that people might tend to overlook or forget, like pension plans, CPP credits, which are something that can be divided based on the period of time that you were together. Essentially, the rule is anything that was accrued while you were considered a couple in that marriage-like relationship, depending on either whether you're legally married or common law, depending on how your province defines it. Yeah, it will vary by province, but sort of the the gap between a married and common law status seems to be narrowing quite a bit, and it also depends on how long you've been together. So there will be some variance in this province by province, for sure. But regardless of that, some of the steps are kind of universal. I mean, as you're decoupling, you're going to be looking at moving out of joint bank accounts, setting up accounts in your own name if you don't have them already. And like we said, removing your spouse or your soon-to-be ex-partner from access to anything that's yours, right? I mean, in contemplation of divorce, people can do pretty funny things. They might decide, oh, there's, you know, 10 grand here in this investment. I'm just going to take it and go on a nice vacation because I deserve it kind of thing. And you don't want money to kind of disappear while it's still in joint name. Yeah. Or other things that have come up is like someone will sell assets to a friend for like a couple dollars to try and skirt around the system, but it usually gets caught pretty quick. But again, these are the games some people have tried to play. 
And don't forget after you've gone to the bank to kind of get these basic things set up, you do have to start notifying uh, different government agencies because there are a lot of like income tested things, even simple things like uh, GST credits and all this stuff will change once you get divorced because your household income will be changing drastically. So you have to go to the bank, get that settled, start reporting to the government, whether you're, it's your CPP, GST, just get a hold of CRA, let them know so they can start recalculating things. And this, this is just part of the process of just starting to break these things up because you are now in a different household, essentially. Yeah. And when you're going to a lower income, so from two people down to one, that can usually increase some of the benefits that Cam had mentioned. So definitely in your best interest to do that. And also when you're filing your tax return, for the first time after you're divorced, you're going to want to make sure that that change is registered on your tax return as well. Another big thing to consider is whether or not you have kids with your spouse, because this will have a big impact too. There may be child support, there may be cost sharing and a host of other things that you'll be on the lookout for. Whereas before, some of these things were just kind of coming out of the joint bank account or what have you, but now it's going to be a different set costs that you'll have to take care of. Well, yeah. And depending on where you live, even if they're not your own biological children, if you've been acting as a parental figure for an extended period of time in these kids' lives, you might still have a responsibility to them beyond the marriage period. So that's something to take into consideration as well. So when we were doing our looking, we found this nifty little federal calculator. It's from uh, 2017. It's uh, from justice.gc.com. CA, so it's federal government. And what it does is it estimates entitlement based on income, number of children, and province. So absolutely, this is not going to be the iron rule, be-all, end-all. But if you're going through this process in your mind before initiating a divorce and are kind of trying to count the costs and see, okay, what would it look like under these circumstances it could be a good idea to take a peek. And so we'll put that link up over for you in the description. And there's uh, the same um, same website. They have one for spousal support as well, which is a little bit stickier because there are quite a few more moving parts there. But uh, definitely something that uh, if you're curious, it's worth a look. Yeah, the spousal support one, there's what? 10 or 15 different moving factors where with child support, it's usually a little bit more cut and dry. And even with, we just did like a quick samples. We just did someone with a hundred thousand salary, two kids in BC, it worked out to $1,522 a month. And the other consideration there is always going to be taxes. So if you're the person that is making the payments, unfortunately, that's not deductible from your annual income on your tax return. But if you get the payments, same thing. Unfortunately, you can't claim them as income. That being said, this still needs to be reported. Uh, federally, that's kind of the rule. You need to report all child support payments that you make or that you get when you file your tax return. Well, I guess you can kind of sum it up quickly then is the person paying it has to use their after-tax dollars to cover that cost while the person receiving it, they don't get taxed on that amount, but it also doesn't change their government benefits as much either, does it? That's right. 
Well, another thing to think about too, when it comes to child support, it is going to be like the extra transport costs when you're at different places, maintaining enough food and supplies and toys in multiple locations. And then the bouncing back and forth, it is going to feel like it's more expensive because of distance, time with and time without the kids. So it's a lot of things going on here. Well, and there are always extra expenses that seem to pop up that spouses will often split even after separation or one spouse will push to have them split. That can be things like if the kid's in hockey and there's like a hockey camp that's really expensive or extracurricular that they really want to enjoy, but one of the spouses is arguing that they don't have the money, there can be extra entitlements along the way. Yeah, those hockey camps, they really, really want those registration fees right now, don't they? Oh, burn. Oh, no. (laughs) Can I go sports announcer and say no comment on that one? You may, as long as it's for the betterment of the whole team. Ouch, burn. Back on track, though. uh, Another thing we should probably mention that, unlike what you may see on TV and movies, Canada actually has a no-fault system. So there isn't the arguing of whether or not the divorce has grounds. It's they're all essentially all treated the same, irregardless of cause. So it's not like the movies where someone cheats this, the other spouse gets more. It's a real cut and dry system we have up here. And because of that no fault system in Canada, it kind of makes it a little easier for the courts to kind of settle things. Because like I said, there is probably about about 10 to 15 different things that the courts will look at, such as uh, the length of the marriage, the financial means of each spouse, whether they had equal pay, unequal pay, one didn't work, one did work kind of thing, who cares for the children mostly, and there's other things to factor in to kind of come up with that spousal support number if it's necessary. Yeah, it's it's kind of the rule of did your actions, even if you were a stay-at-home parent, enrich the life of the other party. So if as a couple you made the choice to stay home and maybe didn't move as far through your career and career development as a result of that, depending on the length of the marriage, there can be some entitlement for a period of time, which is essentially just an attempt to make it all equal. Exactly. The the courts are going to try and make it feel like the spouse with the lesser income still has the same amount of received income they would have gotten while the marriage was still ongoing. Yeah, and this is where the higher income earning spouse can usually feel a little bit slighted by the system because depending on how people feel about how much the other party actually contributed to the marriage can have a coloring on how they view the judge's decision. But I mean, the bottom line here is At this level, unless things are incredibly amicable, which is fairly rare, it is going to a judge. So the judge is the one who's going to be looking at all these different factors, looking at the entitlement of the spouse, looking at the income, looking at the education, looking at the career paths, and coming to some kind of determination. So not one that you want to try and guess on your own. This is definitely lawyer territory. Well, I think there should be one thing we should probably say where... The the way taxation on spousal support works, it seems to be a little bit different than it is with child support. Yeah, it seems like it's the actually the opposite thing going on here. Isn't that right? That's right. So if you're the person making the payments, it's deductible from your income. But if you're the person receiving the payments, that actually becomes taxable to you. And like in the case with child support, 
you both, both parties, need to report all spousal support payments that they're either receiving or giving on their tax returns. Okay, I think we covered enough about how the courts kind of dig into this. We should probably get back to the personal level now. Well, let's say it went through the courts, everything is settled. Now we kind of get back into another process of really updating a lot of your paperwork. That's right. After the division of assets, there's still quite a bit of work to do. I mean, there's the actual transfer of the assets, whether it's money moving in or out of your investment accounts. So typically that's your RSP or RIF, your TFSAs and your non-registered accounts. But this is also a very good time to be taking a look at the beneficiary designation on those accounts and just see what changes you need to be made. Of course, you don't want the ex to inadvertently be inheriting this money down the road. So that's something that you're going to want to take care of right away. In addition, there might have been some documents like an old will that you had put in place while you were married or even a power of attorney. And my goodness, the ability of your spouse or ex-spouse to control your money and make decisions on your behalf is, is pretty scary. So certainly worth a look and make sure that any old documents are replaced by new and current documents that show your current intentions. Yeah. And then comes like the transfer of investment. So if you've got like an RSP, TFSA, non-registered, you're going to be setting up your own accounts now under your own name, but at the same time, you may have to also liquidate some of the old contracts. Either the spouse is going to get some of them, it's going to be used as part of the division of assets. One person got the house, one person got some of the income. So really you're rebuilding your investment portfolio. And this will also have some tax implications with uh, capital gains and everything else that could be triggered when you're moving the contract or when you're having to liquidate to kind of cover some of the exit costs of the court proceedings. Yeah. And depending where and what it is, there are some provisions for uh, tax deferred rollovers like in registered products. So you might not necessarily have to liquidate that RRSP, but you may have to cut into that savings account. So depending on what it is, it will have different tax implications. So definitely good to speak to your financial advisor or your banking representative, wherever those assets are held, about what those tax implications will be. And that can actually be negotiated as part of your divorce settlement, because if there is going to be a cost to you, that should be factored into the division. Yeah, exactly. And something else that's come up too while you're talking to your advisor through some of this is you may actually need added insurance, especially to cover like spousal support, child support, or even RESP commitments. It sounds counterintuitive, but um, for the sake of the agreements that are made that are legally binding and for the sake of the kids, to be very honest, there are cases where someone other than your ex-spouse is going to be the trustee, but ultimately the beneficiary is either your kids or to meet a given obligation. And when you're looking at your insurance, it's good to check on your health benefits. So health and dental plans, those may have changed either if you were on your spouse's plan or you may have to remove a spouse from your current plan. Um, so just refamiliarize yourself with what you actually have available and what you can use, especially if money gets tight for a while. It's good to have a good understanding of all the benefits that you can take advantage of. And I mean, another type of insurance is car insurance that should be factored in here in B.C., both partners driving records will actually factor into the cost. So when you're removing one of those partners, it will have an impact on the premium that you pay. 
That's right. And so these are all these little things you really have to consider and just be really on top of as you're going through this process. So what happens afterwards? Let's say everything is dealt with, everything's settled, you're back off on your own now. What's next? Well, once you have everything done and it's all moved around, the last thing that we would say to do is check your credit report because that's going to have a list of all open accounts liabilities in your name. You want to make sure that any liabilities that had not been discharged that were belonging to or that should have been transferred to your spouse as a result of the divorce actually were and that they're not going to affect your credit on an ongoing basis. So you're going to want to make sure that any of your ex's actions going forward are not going to materially impact your ability to get a loan in the future, especially if down the road you're looking at buying another place because you're moving out of the family home or you just need access to credit for a purchase like that brand new sports car. Well, I guess one way we can kind of sum all this up is divorce is expensive. It certainly is. And you lose the benefits of two people being able to live more cheaply on average than one if you both have sound spending habits. Yeah, but I, kind of circling back to the beginning, that is where a lot of people are struggling. So it's really important right now is to have real good conversations, not shouting matches about your finances, and just come to a place where you can just both have a happy resolution to the things you're going through and just figure out how to plan your lives together. And let your spouse open the podcast from time to time. 39 episodes. It's my time. <laughs> That's right. To keep things fair, we both need to take turns. So that was our episode for today. Hopefully we had some information in there that you found useful. Hopefully you don't find yourself in this situation, but if you do, there's always some planning that can be done. If you're looking for some help or if you're the spouse that maybe hasn't managed money in the past and is looking for some assistance with some investments or some insurance, feel free to reach out to us. You can find us at Braun Financial, braunfinancial.com. And as always, we're always happy to help. So until the next time, take care. All the best. Yeah, I got power of the microphone right now. In business, you rarely hear the expression for life. You make a purchase for a product, for a service, and, and there's, a, there's a time frame there. Well, that's not the case with Awaken 180 weight loss. Allow me to explain. You know, a year ago, I started with Awaken 180 weight loss and had incredible success losing weight. But you can lose all the weight in the world and not keep it off. And what good is it? That's why I have support for life from Awaken 180. Yeah. I mean, I go back for check-ins and make sure everything's going smoothly. But if I ever had a problem, the counselors are there to get me back on track. Why don't you do what I did and call for a consultation? 844-346-1800. 844-346-1800. Or go to awaken180weightloss.com.